My primary objective at Madison was to be attractive, well-liked, and respected by the other kids. But the more I sought popularity, the more it eluded me. Heredity had made me small in stature and a year late in commencing puberty, and I was still two years younger than most of my classmates. The math was inescapable. In those socially crucial high school years, I was almost three years behind my peers in physical development. I cried the day I overheard a boy refer to me as cute. In those days, it did not mean hot or attractive. Cute described a girl a boy thought of as a friend, not someone to date. As much as I didn't want to be the girl boys called for advice about how they could get the girl they really wanted, that was the purpose of virtually every call from a boy. With few friends and no siblings at home, I spent a lot of time alone. But my solitude had an unexpected benefit. It made me a good observer. When a girl is gossiping and discussing shades of nail polish with her friends, she's less available to pay attention to the world. Being alone gave me a chance to process what my senses took in without having to factor in other people's opinions. There was no danger of my falling in with a bad crowd. There wasn't much of a bad crowd at my school. Sometimes the girls with more developed breasts and womanly shapes came to school with their hair curled in bobby pins under silk scarves. In addition to creating curls, this practice had a secondary purpose. It implied that the girl had a date after school with an older guy and didn't care if the boys at school saw her in a scarf. They dressed like Natalie Wood in Rebel Without a Cause and smoked in the schoolyard. It's possible that they were dating juvenile delinquents, but at least the girls showed up for classes. Most of my classmates and I came from working-class families in which one or both parents kept a close watch on our activities. We were expected to achieve academic excellence, and I met those expectations. Unfortunately, that was a recipe for failure for a girl hoping to be asked out on a date. No matter how much I tried to downplay my intellectual curiosity, boys never took me seriously which meant that the most popular girls didn't take me seriously either, or so I thought at the time. Three decades later, a group of middle-aged men and women came backstage after one of my concerts to visit the middle-aged woman I had become. After they identified themselves as classmates from Madison, I was incredulous when they told me that they had thought me one of the prettiest, most popular, and most envied girls in the class. My first impulse was to say, I wish you had told me that then. But what I really wished was that I could have told myself these things at the time. You're pretty. You're smart. You're funny. You're just right the way you are. Be confident. Be yourself. Like yourself. Don't worry, you'll date, and then you'll have different problems. I didn't know those things when I was at Madison. All I could do was keep trying to find my place in the social realm. As it happened, I wasn't the only teenager attracted to the liberal arts in search of peer acceptance and self-expression. A remarkable number of kids from my generation who attended high schools in Brooklyn went on to achieve success in music, film,
TV, literature, journalism, theater, and the visual arts. Not only were we supported in such endeavors by our schools and families, we were only a subway ride away from the array of opportunities awaiting us in New York City. It's no wonder we were drawn to the city in search of artistic and material success. Alongside the culture of material success existed a subculture of alienated anti-materialistic nonconformists, the literary core of which included Jack Kerouac, William Burroughs, and Allen Ginsberg on the East Coast, with Kenneth Rexroth, Gregory Corso, Michael McClure, and Philip Lamantia on the West Coast. There was some coast overlap. The first reading by Allen Ginsberg of his avant-garde poem, Howl, took place in 1955 in San Francisco, and Kerouac drank too much on both coasts.